Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. All right. Welcome to Revolution, everybody. Glad you can make it. You're not at the lake or the cabin. Surprise, this is the non-lake cabin crew. And everyone listening online are going like, what is he talking about? Oh, Minnesota, the lake and the cabin, the thorn in my side. And everybody talks a big game about their cabins. Have you noticed? Like during the summer or during the winter, they'd be like, oh, the cabin's good. You have to come to the cabin. Oh, yeah. Come to the but the whole family shares the cabin, so when summer comes, you never get invited to the cabin. Yeah. Welcome to Minnesota. Everybody's got a million family members. So they're always busy. But uh, my new neighborhood, the neighbors are all nice. I've been meeting the neighbors, and it's been interesting to see how many transplants you meet and how many people have the similar experiences of the Minnesota lifestyle. How many of you are local Minnesotans? Three, that's it? The rest of us are just loners. <laughs> Um, well, I'm, I'm tired because I have a new child. That excuse will work for a few more weeks. And it's going well. Getting up early every morning. Went to the zoo yesterday. And went to see kangaroos. And my son was more interested in the small rocks. There was no even there was no even gates of the kangaroos. You could literally go up and touch the kangaroos if you, well you couldn't. They would stop you. But if you wanted to, there was only just a stick, literally just a stick on the ground, and there were the kangaroos. And my son was playing with small rocks. He's like rocks, rocks, rocks. And he read a, rode a camel yesterday. And I don't know how PC that is to ride a camel nowadays. But uh, him and my wife rode a camel, and he was very excited. Big camel. Big camel. That's what he kept saying. So my therapist said I should share more of my personal stuff with you guys. So there you go. <laughs> That's from my therapist. Uh, people like transparency. Um. So today we're going to be talking about some some stuff in Romans, uh, Romans three, nine, and the idea is is well the idea is 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 what Paul is saying here is that everyone is everyone sins we're all sinners and. It's so often that you hear sermons about everybody being sinners as something really bad. You're all sinners, you know. Get right. Come to the altar. 
We should have moved this first row of chairs back so everybody could come to the altar and ask for forgiveness. Um, but I want to look at it as usual. I always like to look at things in a different way, but we'll go ahead and read some of this first. And um, I've been reading this book, which has been pretty good, by uh, Richard Rohr. Called everything's falling apart. My calling falling upwards. I shouldn't tinker with the microphone. Falling upwards by Richard Rohr. So I'm going to read a little bit about that today too. I have to read a lot in order to keep. When you speak every week, you kind of have to keep fueling up, or you like me. I get writer's block. But I also get writer's block because I suffer from depression. And often depression, you get stuck in the past and the future. And you have a hard time being in the present. And so often I have to retrain my mind to be in the now. And that is a tough place to be for a lot of us. So now that I've lost my place, here we are. Romans 3, 9 says, What then? Are we any better off? No, not at all, for all have already charged um, at all. For we all already charge that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. Basically, it was saying, or if, you know, are we better off than the Jews because of this, this, and this? And it's saying, no, of course not. Jews and Greeks are under the power. So we're all under the power of sin. As it is written, and this is uh, quoting from the Psalms, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is no one, not even one, their, th- their throats are opened with open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift and shed blood. Run, ruin and misery and in their paths and way of, in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now this is, I like to read it like that because rather than, there is no fear of God in their eyes, you know, rather than get right with God because, keep reading and I'll tell you why. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by the deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, the law allows us to know that there's sin. But the law also arouses sin shows us that there's no one who's good. goes on to say, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction since all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's standard. Now listen to that. I, re- I, I, I memorized this in the New Living, which is all fall short. No, oh, wait, all fall short, all, I can't even remember now, the New Living Translation. That's why I should have my phone Bible on me. I'm getting old, and my Bible, is, letters are getting smaller. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to invest in a bigger Bible. 
wear some new new glasses that have have little bifocals, maybe like my dad used to wear. Since all have sinned, all have fallen short of this the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So all have sinned, all fall short. The idea is that no one is good. We've all sinned. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has doubt. Everyone has, um, from last week we talked about forgiveness being reconciliation in spite of estrangement, but sin being somewhat of estrangement. Um, not just between us and God, but between us and our own brokenness. I think often when we refuse to acknowledge our own brokenness, we realize uh, we miss miss out on something there, and we're estranged from our brokenness, and that is a type of, of sin as well, because then all of a sudden we have no need for grace. Um, goes on to say, to, to uh, by his blood, effects through faith, he did this to show us righteousness, because his divine... Forbearance. Nope, you know, I'm not even going to read that far. So let's just read this one more time. Since all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things that got me struck about in this book I've been reading, uh, Falling Upward by Richard Rohr, is... uh, I'm kind of, you know, I like to read books even, you know, they remind me of of things that I forget or that I've thought, but, you know, sometimes people put into words what you thought, but they put it into a words that is just clear and easy to understand. But listen to this. This is pretty, pretty crazy. And we're going to kind of look at this with all have sinned, all have fall short of God's glorious standard. But yet God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. That's the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus is never upset at sinners. It says, check it out. He's only upset with people who do not think they are sinners. Now, if you look through the Bible, that is Jesus's kind of fly in the ointment. I, now, I haven't gone through with a fine-tooth comb to make sure this is 100% right. But from what I know of the Bible, I pretty much agree, is that usually Jesus is upset with Pharisees, the teachers of law, those who want to stone the person caught in the midst of something, um, those who think they're good enough. Um, the story of the prodigal son, you know, we have the good brother saying, I did all these good things, and you know, but we never know what happens to the good brother because he doesn't want to celebrate the forgiveness of his brother, the prodigal. So, to think about it that way, to think that Jesus is never upset at sinners, uh, only those who think... So that's the thing is we want to accept who we are. Now, I've said before, accept that you're accepted, but also we need to accept that we all fall short. And that's okay. You know, sinners doesn't have to be a four-letter word. It's not a four-letter word. (laughs) Um, But we make it into that. We make it into this horrible curse, this horrible thing, this vile thing, and we don't realize that we all are there. You know, and it's not to be like, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say like, well, I'm just a filthy sinner saved by grace. You know, I'm just a horrible piece of shit. 
Saved by Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like they just want to be, you know, there's that poor me. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about saying like we all just get, you know, oh, I'm just a bad person. Glory to God. What I'm trying to say is just realizing that we all fall short and it's okay. And it's one of those things where if you can realize that you're accepted, even that what is unacceptable in your life is accepted by grace and is covered by grace. And that's where transformation starts to happen, you know, in our lives. Not that we're going to be transformed into saints, but that's where things happen when we transform and when we know who we are, when we know what we are. Uh, The first thing I had to do when I got sober was admit that I could not get sober, that I was powerless, you know, and I had to realize what I am. Um... I don't talk for other alcoholics, but I'll talk for myself. And some of the greatest power that ever happened to me, my second meeting, I guess it was, where I I didn't come back. I mean, I stopped drinking after my second meeting, was saying I'm an alcoholic. First time I went, I said, my name is Jay, and I don't know if I'm, you know, I don't know if I really have an issue. I don't even know if I belong here. <laughs> you know, a couple years later, I'm going to, my name's Jay, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, there were powers in those words, um, liberating power. And it's strange to me because I remember other Christians coming up to me saying, don't admit that. Don't say you're that. That's, you know, you're a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You know, they say all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, if I'm more than a conqueror, I think it's okay to have a drink. So maybe I'll just go have a drink and try that. You know, I'm like, no, it's stating what I am, knowing what I am so I don't do it. You know, being clear, this is who I am. This is what I am. And that set me free. You know, and kept me free. And I don't graduate. I don't get to graduate and go have a drink. You know, I've got 21 years sober, and I thought, well, now that my drinking age is legal, maybe I could have a drink. Unfortunately, no, that's not how it works. Or should I say fortunately for all of you? (laughs) Because I would have just burnt down all of Minnesota. Um, so understanding that, understanding who we are, and realizing that that's why Jesus was, you know, Jesus said, I've come to call sinners. I've come to call those, not those who think they're good enough. You know, Jesus was always clear with what he was here to do and who he was here for, and there's something about that. And having, I just, I, I just really loathe the false the false humility that sometimes goes along with that, or the beating oneself up, or the being a martyr. Oh, I'm just a horrible sinner. You know, you see it a lot with, sometimes with our more conservative brothers and sisters, sometimes our conservative Calvinist brothers and sisters. Not to name any names, but um, <laughs> sometimes we see it with them. Um, but look what Paul talked about. Paul talked about his own struggle and how the law had aroused that, and let's look at why. Um, Romans 7, let me just jump to 14, says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, this is Paul speaking, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I don't want to, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer... I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me. 
dwells within me. I've got to get a bigger Bible, guys. Next week I'll have a bigger Bible. That is why my flesh and I can that is why I am in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want to is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now I want to look at what he's talking about here. Uh, so we get a better idea that he's just not saying the devil made me do it. But what Paul is talking about is prohibition. Now, prohibition, do you guys know what prohibition is? Do you remember prohibition? Dun, 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 dun. I used to have to carry moonshine across state lines. Matter of fact, it's ironic that we're talking about prohibition because today is the first day that it's legal to buy alcohol on Sundays. So I no longer have to smuggle it in from Wisconsin. Well, no, I don't drink, so I never did. Um, just for the underage kids. I kid. Um, but prohibition is one of those things that sometimes stirs things in us. You can't do this. You shouldn't do this. This shouldn't. Don't should on me. You know? <laughs> This is wrong, this is bad, and he's saying that this is what this prohibition, these, these laws and these rules and these regulations stirred something up inside me, you know? And so I had to, to realize what I was. So it goes on to say, so I find it to be the law, so I find it to be a law that when I wanted to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be the Lord to God, though Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, it goes into eight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once again, accepting what he is, saying there's no longer prohibition, has now set him free. He's saying there's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. I'm free in that. So does Paul go on and just say, well, now I'm going to do all these horrible things or I'm going to do whatever I want? No, Paul goes and says, I'm going to be, have freedom, but I'm going to have the freedom to love other people, the freedom to serve other people in love. I'm going to be able to love my neighbor as myself because I know who I am, I know what I am, but I also know that there's no condemnation in being who I am and what I am. So that's pretty powerful, just that idea of, of being free from that prohibition, being free from that. Uh, where is it? This is all, all is permissible, but not all is beneficial. Anybody know where that is? That's, I even remember one person used to tell me that was their favorite sermon. <laughs> I mean, their favorite verse. All is permissible, but not all is beneficial. And, um, and that is a verse, and I can't remember where it's at right now. But, um, but the idea is saying, you know, we're loved. Go ahead. It's not all beneficial. It's not all going to help you. Some of it's going to hurt you. But under Christ, we've been freed, set free. It's a pretty amazing thing, except that you're accepted. Learning to 
accept that that prohibition has been broken and that we are now in Christ. Now, the question is, is, is it transformative? Is grace really transformative? And that's where we ask the cell, is it really there? Is the Holy Spirit really there for us? And that's not a question I can answer for you. I can only answer for myself. When I was young and I thought God hated me, I could not get my life in line. I thought God had made a mistake, and that mistake was Jamie Charles Baker. That's my real full name. <laughs> and, uh, and there's nothing I could do. I felt guilty constantly. I thought that God was upstairs, you know, some big gray beard man in heaven, just keeping records. Oh, there goes Jay doing that. And just waiting to flick me on the top of the head. You know, oh, Jay. So I thought the best that could happen for me would be a deathbed confession because God must hate me. And there was nothing I could do to earn God's approval or earn God's love. And I didn't realize that I was right. But I was raised in the church my whole life, and I didn't, and I thought it was all about pleasing God. Could be the fact that my dad probably felt that way too. You could see by the fact that he had to build buildings. The bigger buildings, bigger places, bigger things. They had to do bigger things for God all the time. And so there was this pleasing God, making God happy, appeasing God, if you will. And I could not appease God. My father could not appease God. And one day someone said, Jay, what are you doing? You're trying to earn your salvation. I went, what are you talking about? And... uh it was this very verse in Galatians that really got me. Um, in Galatians 21, and from memory, it's, I'm not one of those who treats the grace of God as meaningless, for if we could be saved by keeping the law, there was no need for Christ to die. That's new living. In the uh, NRSV, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, For to justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. But basically what my friend was saying is, Jay, you're saved by grace, not by works. You can't earn this. You can't earn it. It's just not possible. And I took it for granted. And sometimes I still take it for granted. Um, In my own life, instead of maybe thinking I can't earn God's approval, I think I can't earn, I have to earn other people's approval, or I have to earn my own approval, or I'm not good enough because of the levels. Now, my my expectations sometimes are higher than what I would say God's expectations are on me, and I have to learn to accept myself through that too, and which is a very hard thing to do, because sometimes I'm my biggest critic. But he said, you know, my buddy D.E. Polk said, you are full of it. You're trying to earn your own salvation. You can't do it. And I remember thinking, whatever helps you sleep at night, pal. You know, I just thought that's what he has. He's, he is softening the gospel. He's making Jesus do what he wants to do. He's, he's making the word say what he wants to say, and it's too good to be true. So that was the reaction to the good news for me was is that it's too good to be true. You know, saved by grace. What the heck? It's funny, I wasn't even planning on this being about Saved by Grace sermon, but there it is. Oops, they all end up that way, I guess. 
saved a wretch like me. Um, but it was only at those moments, that moment, where I realized what, what it was all about when I accepted that. I remember calling my dad in the middle of the night and being like, Dad, you won't believe it. God loves us. <laughs> We're accepted. And I remember him saying, I know, son, I know, but, you know, sometimes I just find it too good to be true. You know, and he'd been a pastor the majority of his life, and this is, you know, this was in the 90s. And he still had a hard time accepting it. It's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And I don't think they do until I get back on social media. Like, sometimes I think, like, well, the message of grace is passe now, and it's done its thing. And then I get on social media, and I see what, how people talk to each other and treat each other in the name of God. And uh, it's pretty, pretty crappy, you know? Uh, legalism and, and uh, self-hate and uh, judgmentalism uh, is still out there. It's really a bummer. So what happens, though, for me is it says nullify here, or in New Living it said meaningless. We treat the death of Christ. We treat Christ's, what Christ has done for us as meaningless when we think that we can do it, that we have it together, that somehow there's a law that we can fulfill. And the two main commandments Jesus said was love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Those are the things that we're being transformed to do. Those are why we are accepted because we are loved, then we love. If we can accept that love, we are able to love more like that without as many conditions. When we realize we're loved without condition, then maybe we can love without condition. But it's a very hard place for humans and a very impossible thing for our human nature to do. It's a struggle. And that's why this is so important and why it's been so transformative for me in my own life and why I have to constantly remind myself. Now I'm in a new walk in my own life where I have to take this love and this grace and this mercy and, and put it over me personally, not my religious life, but over just my thought life. Because my thought life, I go, yo, you're not good enough. God might accept you, but I think you're a piece of crap. <laughs> you know, so I have to go like, oh, no, you know. And uh, what, how, you know, what, what would, I, would I speak to my son that way? You know, no, of course not, because I love my son. I care about my son. Of course, now I, I, well, I punish my son if he runs out into the street and say, yes, you know, well, I raise my voice if he does something bad, <laughs> throws rocks at strangers like he did yesterday and thought it was hilarious. I had to go, no, thank you, Milo. <laughs> That's our, you know, we don't hit our kids thing. No, thank you, Milo. <laughs> and um, we don't throw rocks. Uh, but, but I would never tell them, you're a piece of crap. You can't do this, you know. You're never going to amount to anything. Now, I've heard parents say that. And if you want to really see some bad parenting, uh, you want to hear some bad parenting, go somewhere like the zoo. You know, and just listen to what other parents say to their kids. I mean, holy moly. Talk about, uh, ugh, it's tough not to be judgmental. Talk about loving your enemies and holding your tongue. Uh, that's tough. Um, kids just getting just 
laid into and cussed at. Get your effing mask in the car. You know, I mean, I literally heard that yesterday, and I was just like, what does that do to that child? Well, what has it done to us when we think God's talking to us like that? What does it do to us when our pastors and our teachers and the people in the community talk to us as though that's their representatives of God and talk to us like that? You know? How many of us are here because we've been hurt by the church? It's likely that if you're in this room right now or if you're listening online, you've had an issue at church at one time in your life where you felt like you were treated like crap or treated like you weren't loved or treated less than. Because usually we're like the last stop on the highway (laughs) out of town. No more churches for a thousand miles. So you're stuck with a babbling preacher. Um, I'm going to read a little bit more from this from this book uh, that I wanted to read to you guys, um, which I found this fascinating. Every time God forgives us, God is saying that God's own rules do not matter as much as the relationship that God wants to create with us. Every time God forgives us. Now remember, what is it saying? We can't earn salvation. We're saved by grace, not by works. No man may boast. Wait, that's Ephesians 2.8.9. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law or works... And Christ died for nothing. And here it's saying every time God forgives us, God is saying that God's own rules do not matter as much as the relationship that God wants to create with us. Now, had I been told something like that as a child or as a teenager or as a 20-year-old, that would have done it for me. I mean, I probably would have been like, no, no, no. God's rules are more important than me. God's rules are more important than you. And that's how I thought. So when I realized that God wasn't a tyrant, and when you realize that God's saying, you matter to me, your relationship with me is more important than my own rules and my own regulations and my own law, you are valuable to me, that is transformative. That is love. That is grace. That's an acceptance that is transformative completely. We're talking about turning into a butterfly beforehand and being a, being a, what are you when you turn into a butterfly? You're a caterpillar. And when you're a caterpillar and you want, you know, you turn into a butterfly, it's, it's part of turning into the butterfly is that you are accepted, you're loved, you are, you just transform, you can't help it, you can't but become that. And that transformative thing is the same thing as that love and that acceptance and that grace that we all need. And we've got to learn to give it to ourselves. We've got to learn to put it into our lives personally as well, not just not just theologically. And so that's my next step in my life is uh, learning to accept me as God does. Romans... Uh, Back to Romans. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, 
Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't have to say this. I'll let this book say it. Through, though, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we boast and our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering. What? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now, what blows my mind here is it's the one of the things that this is called in uh, DBT is called opposite action. And uh, you, you do the opposite action of, of, of what you normally want to do. And it's interesting because I have a lot of willfulness. And my willfulness says, don't do it, or you're not going to do it. It doesn't even say that. Like, I'm like, okay, I've got to mow the lawn today. And my mind goes, no, you're not going to mow the lawn today. Just accept it. You're not going to mow the lawn. You're not going to make those phone calls to, you know, your uh, EPA. What is the what is the person who does finances? CPA. You're not going to make the phone call to CPA today. You're just not going to do it. You know, it's not going to happen. So just accept it. And I have to take that willfulness and turn it into willingness into this opposite action and say, you know what? I'm just going to pick up the damn phone. I've got to do it because my willfulness becomes so. So such a strong thing that I don't even realize that it's like taken over. Just like you're not going to do it. It's not like maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. It's like no. Now listen to this. Back to that. And we not only that we, but we also boast in our suffering. So when we suffer, we boast because we know that it is endurance and brings endurance and character. That's a hard thing to do, but it requires opposite action on our part. So we can learn that in our love and in grace that even when we suffer that we can thank God for that in a certain way. Now I can say, looking back, I'm using my sobriety as an example. I don't know how culture that is, but I'm doing it anyway. The first year for me, first two years really were miserable. In the first year, I remember just driving around in my car by myself, listening to jazz, because <laughs> it was the only thing that could drown out the sound of my own head, was some abstract music. And I, uh, I, was, I was miserable, but over time, I started to see, you know, these practices that I was working on. Ting, 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 ting. You know, why do we go to church? Why do we in fellowship? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we read other books about the Bible? Why do we want to be in fellowship with other people? Because those things tink, 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 start wearing away at those negative thoughts, those negative things. Why do we want to be around people who realize that we're accepted? You know, Why do we want to love people who are unlovable? Because why? Because we want to be the little tink, 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 tink on them. We want to be people who expose misinformation to those who hate themselves or maybe cause others to hate themselves because they aren't the enemy. Misinformation is the enemy. So, we learn to boast in our own suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And I want to say that uh, 2,000 years ago uh, in a Middle Eastern context, uh, being a Christian, I have a feeling they knew what it was like to really suffer. 
And I have a feeling it wasn't like, oh, I have to call my CPA. <laughs> oh, I have to write my bills. It was like, oh, I'm going to be wrapped up in animal skins and fed to lions. <laughs> How do I thank God in that? You know, I serve a crucified God, which was a humiliation at that time. It was humiliating. Because basically you were saying, my God died like a common criminal. Some of the first graffiti they've ever found was uh, where Jerusalem was, and it was, a, it was mocking the crucified God. It was, it, was, it was a mocking of people saying, who followed the crucified God, like, why would you follow a God that was basically killed in the electric chair? You know, it looks like, you know, you follow a cult leader. That's how it was seen. So these people knew what suffering was. They knew what it was like to be mocked, and they knew what it was like to try to endure and uh, learned what that could produce. But endurance does produce hope. And uh, man, that's tough, though. It's so easy to say it in a church. It's so easy to preach it. It's so easy to say in a Bible study. But to learn to endure, allow suffering and endurance to grow you is, ugh. It's tough. It's hard to rejoice in that. That's some mastery level stuff, but maybe you can find yourself doing it just in a small prayer or whispering it to yourself. Um, at least maybe accepting that suffering in the beginning is a, a good place to start. Because honestly, I tell you what, fighting it often doesn't do a whole lot, but sometimes looking at it and accepting it or taking an action to deal with it helps. Um, I'm going to end with Colossians one, Colossians one twenty two, which says, "He has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death." So as to present you holy and blameless as and holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. Okay, did you hear that? In the New Living it says, "You've been made holy and blameless as you stand before God without a single fault." You've been made holy and blameless. Twenty-one, you just right up there. It says, "And you were once." estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But it goes, Christ has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless as and irreproachable before him. Now listen to this. This is interesting because it goes on to say, provided that you continue securely established in the steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard. So, you've been made holy and blameless. It's not something you can long for. It's a gift. It's been, you've been reconciled. It's a gift. Now, why does, it, why, does this, why does this seem like there's an asterisk here? Because it's provided you continue securely established in the steadfast and faith. It's securely established in the steadfast and in the faith without shifting from the hope promised to you. It's saying... You'll only be able to accept this part. You'll only be able to stay this reconciled and, uh, and blameless and reproachable 
if you are securely in it, if you don't give up that hope, if you don't forgive the hope that you received. And that's what happens is we forget the hope. We don't stay securely in that holy and blameless ideal. We go, I'm holy and blameless, asterisk. You know. And so we don't stay in it securely. And so we get off on a tangent and we have our asterisks and we have our ands and ifs and buts and we go another way. But it's saying, stay in it securely. Stay steadfast in the faith. Don't allow it to shift from that hope promised to the gospel. Now, do you see the, the, what's happening there? Don't shift from that hope. The endurance, we thank God when we suffer, and it builds endurance. Endurance builds hope, and we stay in that hope. Do you see there's, there's these things that continue to connect one another? In the Bible, it's saying, okay, so when we suffer, and then we thank God for it, and we learn to endure, and we keep on to the hope, then the further down the line it says, now well, you've been made holy and blameless as you stand before God without a single fault, but stay securely in that hope. It's important. Hope is important. And hope comes from going through hard times and dealing with them and surviving. Because you'll have hope from that. You know, there's times where I've, I've wanted to, you know, in my past, to take my own life, and that's like the end of hope. You know, there's no more hope there. That's it. And there's no endurance there because it's saying, I can't endure this anymore. But the Bible's saying, you can endure this. All sin, all fall short, but yet God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. Paul says, I try to do what I want, but I can't. What do I do? And then it says, thank God there's an answer for there's no condemnation in those who belong to Jesus Christ. Galatians 2 says, don't try to make Christ's death in vain by trying to earn your own salvation by doing works. Romans 5, uh, I can't remember what Romans 5 says. Um, (laughs) Colossians 1, though, says, be reconciled. Stay reconciled because you have been reconcilable. You're blameless. You're irreproachable. I love that word irreproachable before him, but make securely that you stand in that hope. Don't be shifted or moved from it. Now, we're all going to be shifted and moved somewhat. Um, But I think the message here is accept who you are. Learn that you're loved. Learn to know that that love can help you endure through hard trials. And that will give you more hope, and that hope will help you stand more securely in the fact that you are accepted by that which is greater than yourself. And not only that you are accepted, but that you are blameless in the eyes of that which is greater than yourself. And that is why it's called good news. I'm going to read one more thing from Richard Rohr, and then we'll we'll let this go. The ego clearly prefers an economy, the economy of merit, where we can divide the world into winners and losers. To any 
the ego, I'm going to read this again. The ego clearly prefers an economy of merit where we can divide, lose, divide the world into winners and losers rather than to any economy of grace where merit or worth this, worth, worthiness loses all meaning. In the first case, at least a few of us good guys attain glory. In the second case, all the glory is to God. Do you hear that? True ego clearly prefers an economy of merit where we can divide the world into winners and losers to an economy of grace, where merit or worthiness loses all meaning. When you have grace, merit and worthiness loses all meaning. In the first case, at least a few good guys attain glory. In the second case, all the glory is to God. So that's what grace is. We don't get to be the good guys, and they don't get to be the bad guys. It's a great equalizer. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for everyone in this room. Um, I thank you for providing this community and fellowship. And uh, we thank you for your unbelievable grace and mercy and unbelievable acceptance, which is, uh, I'd say, help us to understand that more. Help us not to shift from that. Help us to uh, stand in that firmly. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, One of the things before we go and before we get offline um, is Revolution is a nonprofit, and we uh, make a make make this happen by your donations so you can give online at revolutionchurch.com um, which is a tumblr site but there's a click on the tumblr site so people say oh your website's down i can only get to the tumblr <laughs> it's because our website is only a tumblr right now because we don't have a web person um so that's what i've decided to do with to make things easier on me and palo and a couple other people who volunteer but uh, yeah, so if you want to give and Revolution's your church and it's important to you, that is awesome and we would love that. If uh, you don't want to give and you just want to be here, that's awesome too and I love that. And so we'd rather have you than your money still. That's been tight, but I'd still rather have you than your money right now. So um, I'm sure it's my own ego and the numbers. Um, <laughs> but uh, so please, I'm going to pass the hat and all that. And I just want to thank all the online listeners for listening. So thanks a lot.